Data Blasted by Andy Crane. All this and more coming up on today's show. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. A bad influence. Quake Sinclair. And a retro computer museum to take people on a digital adventure in Lee. All these stories and more coming up on This Week in Retro. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. Episode number 97 of This Week in Retro. We edge ever closer to the big 100, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, how are we? How are we? Um, Dave, how are you doing I'm this very week? Well, I well. I am even better than I was last week. I've started doing things about the house. I've been up ladders, repairing things, repairing sockets, as I showed you, Neil, almost repairing sockets, as I showed you, Neil, <laughs> repairing lights, moving a washing machine, all sorts of stuff, still playing Baldur's Gate, still sucked into it, but I'm, I'm finally starting to get things done about the house, so I'm doing great. How's Outrun? <laughs> Outrun's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So the Outrun Upright Arcade arrived this week in the arcade. and Nice. Um, uh, it, okay, the day it arrived, the day Alex went and picked it up, Lily had borrowed my car to go to work. I was editing from home, and I thought, okay, Outrun's there. I'm going to jump in her car. I'm going to go to the cave and play Outrun. And um, got in there, click, nothing happened. The battery oh. on her car was dead, and I, <laughs> I was stuck at home. I couldn't get there. So um took another 24 hours before I could buy a battery, get that fitted, get my car back from her, and drive over. And then I'd spent a good few hours uh, just playing Outrun, and it was just perfect. <clears throat> this cabinet, steering wheel feels great. Original CRT in there. Um, it does have something called a Smarty Pie in there, which is um, a board which is pie based, which lets you run uh, Outrun. I think it runs the Cannonball engine on there, um, so it lets you do some tweaks, like it lets you run it at sixty frames per second, which I've only ever seen Can on see. the Saturn version before. It lets you change the color of the car, which I do not like at all. I changed that back to red. When it arrived, the car was yellow. <laughs> um, it lets you run the Japanese or the worldwide version, which has a slightly different course layout. Um, I'm only really familiar with the one we had here, so I always play that one. And um, it also lets you run other games. So you can run Turbo Outrun, Outrunners, um, Top Speed, which is a Taito game, Power Drift. So you can switch between the games, but I'm just going to keep it to Outrun. Yeah. But is it is it the real hardware original Outrun in there, and the pie does extra stuff on top, or is it? It's it's not just a cabinet with a the, the, the guts ripped out and a pie stuck in, is it? Unfortunately, at the moment, I think it is just that, and we are going to try and get the original board to put in there because you know if you're coming for a museum experience, you want to be playing on the original hardware. Yeah, so. and I, I don't want I don't want to knock playing on a pie, but. In your circumstances, it has to it's be not the what you real go thing. There for. It's not what yeah. you go there for. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. I think in an ideal world, as with a lot of the cabinets, we'd like to put the original hardware in, and then where possible, we'll have, say, a mister as a backup next to it so yes. that we don't have to put an out-of-order sign on it. We can say, okay, sense. here's the next closest thing we can have running for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and a little thing I should mention there, I watched a fantastic video this week. I'm not sure if it's public yet. It probably will be by the time this this comes out from uh, Retro RGB. Bob has done um, an amazing video on how to set up um, your mister for arcade games. It's great. There's all sorts of things in there, things I didn't know about mister. I, I'm, a, I'm a basic mister user. I don't use mister any, uh, anything other than to get into the games and then I forget all about it. But there's all sorts of configuration things you can do that make it so much better. So that's, that's, that's a good watch. 
I will just point out there, Dave, you called it your mister. You'll get me in trouble if you call it my mister, unless you mean the multi-system specifically. No, I don't. I don't. When I say your mister, I mean I mean you're the viewers, the listeners. Uh, okay. It's not all about you, Neil. Uh, it's not all about me, no. It's not the new This Week in Neil. <laughs> Easy tiger. Now, uh, we, did, right. <laughs> we did have a... Um, we did have an email this week from a viewer called Andrew, and this just followed up on the talk of um, what game was it we were talking about? The Hobbit, Hobbit. wasn't it? The Hobbit. So a chap called Andrew, he emailed in, he said, I tried to leave a comment on the latest this week in Retro 94, but I think it ended up in the spam filter. I didn't see that one myself, so do apologize. Um, he says, I am a moderator of the Tolkien Collecting Guide, and the website for that is tolkienguide.com. And one of our members has produced two excellent articles on the Melbourne House Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings game, uh, which I think your viewers may be very interested in reading. may take a while as both articles are very comprehensive. So we'll put the link to that, to the Tolkien Guide, in the show notes if you're interested in that particular. It does make for a good read. Dave, did you have a read? I know this is your uh, area of expertise. I bookmarked him, but I actually know the chap, or I've spoken to the chap before. He goes by the name of Trotter. Um, he's very knowledgeable. I bumped into him on a different Discord, on a Prancing Pony podcast Discord, and he uh, he gave me some help on um, what to what Tolkien books to buy. I, I, I have recently, or uh, in the past year or so, got into buying physical books again, not just e-books, and I, I now have a lovely set of um, Lord of the Rings books, uh, the whole thing, and he, he helped me with that. So it, it was funny to see his name come up. Excellent. Chris, how's your week been this week? Yeah, not too bad. I wasn't actually going to mention it, but as soon as you mentioned changing the colour of the car on OutRun, I think it fits in with that. This is not a sponsored thing, and I want, I'm not even going to mention the name of the brewery to prove that, but I've been drinking <laughs> mention this Mention the name beer. of the brewery, go on. No, I'll be mentioned. Uh, God, they might send us some free beer. It, oh, that's true. It's West Coast, West Coast something. West Coast IPA, I think. Uh, Mega Drive, mm, Mega smooth Drive. and lovely so beer. West beer. Coast. So, so to so just to explain to the listeners, basically, I'm holding up a beer can, but they they put that sort of pseudo retro styling after Outrun that the car is blue, probably for licensing reasons. But they've done a really good job. It's actually the third the third one that they've done. Yeah. In, these, see if you hold it still, people might be able to see it. Just hold it, hold it to the camera. And then hold even it still. the listeners, even the listeners, can they see that? If the I listeners might be able to hear it. Fantastic. When I'm driving my yeah. Ferrari Testarossa, yeah. I only drink but West it's... Coast IPA. <laughs> yeah, but it's just such a nicely done thing, and they've done they've done three of these special editions, and they've called each one like Stage One, Stage Two, Stage Three. So they've done Overdrive, Hyperdrive, and now Mega Drive. Really cool, just to see retro computer gaming slide through into all sorts of other areas including beer i mean well it's the no collision of there. a demographic isn't it the collision yeah. of people who grew up with 80s arcades and are now getting into uh, real ale drinking or ipa and yeah microbreweries yeah. yeah does it but, taste good uh, yeah it was okay actually it was a 10 percenter as well so it was uh, yeah it was well worth Ooh, it so special brew stuff but um, in, in terms of what else i've been doing this week i did mention last week because of the time of year it was i may do some playing of some Scary games. I, I actually didn't do that. I did something even more scary. I pulled apart the 386DX. Oh. Because do, do you remember when I slapped it on the on the desk yeah. that it's sitting on, it would reboot. So I, I completely pulled it apart and then went as far as pulling apart the, um, the power supply to try and figure out what mm -hmm. it was. I think I've fixed and? it, but <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> my method of fixing it is 
is not the kind that most people would go for. I, I basically worked out that it seemed to be shorting out on the base of the inside of the PSU case. So as in the PSU oh, so itself. So it's a short rather than a dry joint. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So so all I did was I, I just put some electrical tape on the bottom of the inside of the PSU to stop it shorting out. Um, well, and then fine. I put it back together and then it, yeah. it still seemed to be shorting out. So I oh. thought, well... Well, what's different between that and my test? Because I did test it with a piece of card and it seemed to mm -hmm. fix it. And I thought, the only difference is I've put those screws back in place that actually hold the PCB in place inside the PSU. So I removed the screws and now it seems to be fixed. So as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, that's fixed. <laughs> I wonder if there's maybe a rubber washer missing yeah. on the little screws or something, maybe. little grommets or something. Maybe. And yeah, also yeah. in PSUs, you would often get like a plastic insert that would sit in the bottom yeah. of the tray to stop that kind of thing. So yeah, that, that yeah. electrical, electrical tape's fine. And as Dave said, I would put some rubber washers in and then at least you're secured in place and not yeah, shorting yeah. out. But at the moment, but, I can slap that desk as hard as I want and it doesn't reboot. So that that's fixed as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> Excellent. Now, Dave, I'm looking at the show notes here, and there's a big section which says Dave wants to do some housekeeping. Is that something you want to share with us, or was that a private so, note? <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, it was a few things I wanted to say. So we've had um, our platform provider, Podbean, has inserted adverts, and they have caused people some problems, but we hope that that's fixed. We hope they're not too intrusive, but we hope that they're fixed. Um, we haven't had any reports recently of people having problems, but if you do have problems, then please do let us know. Podbean assure us that they're fixed, but if they do cause you problems, please do let us know. We want you to be able to listen to the podcast in a nice, pleasant way. The problems were that we were talking in slow motion or something like that. Is that what was happening? Yes. <laughs> it's done it again. Yeah, slow motion. Yeah, <laughs> slow motion. I, I don't know why. Um, we we do have a we do have a Patreon. Um, we might look at picking up a sponsor just to cover the, the modest cost that we have for hosting and equipment and so on. But we don't want to beat the drum about it and make things unpleasant. Um, but um, we're, we're considering whether people would like early access if we've got the show prepared. If when I say we, Duncan has the mm. show prepared, perhaps no uh, he's almost always got it done on a, on a Friday evening. Would you like to? Would you like to see it on a Friday evening rather than wait till Saturday? We don't know, uh, but the show is growing though, so we we do have to thank you for that. Um, if you could uh, leave a like and a subscribe on YouTube or give us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you get the podcast, that will help people know about it. We actually appeared um, last week when the show went out on Saturday as number 74 in the top 100 UK tech podcasts. Wow. So there you go. Breaking the breaking the top one hundred in the UK specifically the tech. <laughs> I don't we, actually know how many overall views and listens we have. We should probably look into that. It's difficult sometime. to tell. It's difficult to tell. But we do seem th things do seem to be going great for the podcast. The listeners send us some with some really some really touching feedback, some really genuine feedback, and it it makes a it makes it a diff makes a difference to us. But all three of us enjoy the, doing this anyway. We all yeah. we all look yeah. forward to it. Yeah, good fun, good fun. So, uh, yeah, I should say thank you as well. Um, just for everyone who's – there are some people who have been there from the very start uh, and we're always getting new listeners who are making new comments, uh, mostly positive, the occasional negative one, but it does give us a chuckle, I have to say, when, yes. <laughs> when we see them. Um, and just thank you for uh, for listening, however you listen or watch. We do really appreciate it. Episode 100 plan is ready. We've got something a little bit special for that, but don't worry, it's still going to be a normal show. It's not going to be something unusual for you, but we have a, a super special guest and a few little extras, and Duncan has been saving up some outtakes, 
and we'll get to those to you soon. We're just trying to work out how to get them to you. Haven't decided yet, so it might be worthwhile to follow us on Twitter, but we might also try. There is a, a This Week in Retro Twitter account, uh, which Duncan will link, but we might also try YouTube Shorts or even elsewhere if we're feeling um, froggy. Froggy? Did you say? Feeling froggy. What does I get that, that from Aaron at uh, Amigos. <laughs> Says, that even if mean? you're feeling froggy. Oh, is it a Kermit thing? <laughs> no, it's a feeling brave, I think. Oh, okay. Okay. Frogs are brave. Good. Is that, that, is that's, that... that's how it works. <laughs> they cross roads and they jump across and logs and stuff. Okay. Is that the end of housekeeping? That is the end of housekeeping. Wonderful. Well, let's go into this week's stories then. Here's a name many of our UK listeners might not have thought about for some years. It's Violet Berlin. Remember her? Well, she's active on Twitter, and she shared a tweet this week which said, 30 years since bad influence today. And it subsequently became the most popular story on our subreddit when uh, somebody posted it there. In fact, that's somebody being Squelch411. So thank you for sharing that story. For those of you who don't know, Violet was one of the presenters of the 90s video game TV show alongside Andy Crane, Sonia Soul, uh, who came later in the series, Andy Ware, who was also known as Namrud, you slimy furtlers, um, and a young American correspondent, Z Wright. That's Z, not Z, because he's American and that's cooler. Um, Namrud, incidentally, if you didn't know, is doorman, spelt backwards. Took me a long time to realize that, but there you go. <laughs> but why? Why? I don't know. He was never really backwards? a bouncer, was he? <laughs> he never really no. stood on the door, but there we go. Your name's not down, you're not coming in. Maybe. He did have his own sort of private room where he did everything. Um, but yeah. Anyway. Um oh, was that was that was that the kind of was Navrud the kind of the guy where it was all a bit ropey looking? It was all Yeah, yeah. and he did, he gave you the cheat codes and and stuck them to his forehead and things like that. He was, um, he was in the shed originally, wasn't he? That's anyway. right. Yeah. 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 So the show ran from nineteen ninety two through to ninety six. It was uh, a twenty minute format stretched out with all the adverts thrown in. Um, And it crammed as many platforms as it could in there and then ended the show with what was called the Data Blast, or at least it did for the first two series. I think the Data Blast was eventually dropped. Uh, And that was where you had pages of text appeared at the credits at the end of the show. And the idea being that you recorded it and then you played it back on your VHS player frame by frame to read it like a flickery magazine. Bad Influence wasn't the only show in town, of course. We had Games Master, which started in the very same year of 92. But two short shows per week was never going to be enough to quench our desire to see the latest and greatest video games in motion. Our consumption of what was good, exciting or not was mostly confined to the static pages of our magazines. And I think it bears saying I cannot underestimate or understate just how exciting it was to... um, you know, not just not just bad influence, but anything whatsoever that you saw on the TV featuring video games. To to see previews of new games actually in motion, um, and to have a sense that others were enjoying this hobby as much as you were, because there was a show dedicated to it, and there were a there were cool in inverted commas people on this show and an excited audience, and they were all telling you how great this all was. Um, it was kind of a a level of affirmation, I guess, that uh, you weren't alone in this hobby of yours. The modern world of YouTube, game footage, 
well, all the game footage you could ever want via YouTube and other platforms is a future that I don't think any of us could have fathomed in 1992. This was as good as it got. And I think it's fair to say that Bad Influence uh, it was really aimed at a younger audience, wasn't it? Um, as indeed was Games Master, but Games Master perhaps pushed the boundaries, making it feel slightly more grown up to our young minds, even if in retrospect, that really just translated to a bit crass. And um, I remember particularly enjoying the way they would show not just console gaming on Bad Influence, but generally at the start of the episode, you would have Amiga and PC releases and news, and then they'd kind of move on to, to consoles. And sometimes you'd get to see game development tools or um, animation packages, and the ham-fisted Andy Crane carefully following what was clearly a, a choreographed routine with the mouse to demonstrate them. I think we all knew he didn't really know what he was doing. Andy Crane had moved across from being a a children's TV presenter in, was he in the broom cupboard on, on BBC doing the children's um, TV? Broom I think he was, wasn't cupboard. he? I think he was with, oh, I can't remember if he had Gordon Ed, the, Ed the Duck. Gordon, no, that was Philip Schofield, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Philip anyway, Schofield. Anyway, oh. yeah. he came from a background <laughs> of children's TV presenting rather than, I guess, technology. As, as you would, you want presenters, you don't want nerds fronting a show. But um, it was a little bit yeah, clear to us I more than... I disagree, you want nerds, you want nerds. Uh, well, I think it was a bit clear, clearer to us more than any of the other presenters that Andy was just kind of doing what he was yes. told. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, first of all, happy birthday, Bad Influence. Uh, Dave, we'll come to you first, because I think in the past I've heard you allude that you didn't actually enjoy gaming TV shows of the 90s. Am I right? Yeah, I feel bad now because you've made them sound so good and so 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 such an important part to, of your life. <laughs> so I, I'm afraid I, I, I barely watched them. I was aware of them at the time, and I barely watched them, and I don't really feel any attachment to them. People talk about them fondly, and I, I, I just stay out of the conversation because I don't want to uh, have a go at other people's memories. But I think I know why. Um, in 1992, I was 17 years old, and I discovered a world of drinking, clubs, gigs, etc. And that was what I wanted to do. Um, so the, these shows were very much aimed at. Um, if, I'm trying not to be too 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 mean here, but um, they were aimed at 14 year olds who wanted to pretend they were 17 or 18. And if you're 17, 18, 19, that's the last thing you want to do. Mm. Um, you'd, you'd run a mile from that. So I think that's perhaps why I stayed away. Um, there was programs like The Word on Channel 4, who mm -hmm. for our international or our younger audience, the, the word was intentionally as edgy as they could be. They, they try to offend. They try to be rude. Um, they, they try to show as much nudity and much sexual content, content, content as they could get away with while still it, some kind of – imagine the, the late show but with um, that kind of edgy youth content. And I think that, that Bad Influence and Games Master were trying to, to echo a bit of that if they could. Yeah, I, I, I didn't watch them, I'm afraid. And for everything else, there was Euro trash. But um, <laughs> was there was there any Pee -pee and popo. <laughs> hello PP, hello popo. Was there any um, TV outlet that you turned to for your video game news, Dave? Yeah, I think Tomorrow's World. Um, I'm very fond of Tomorrow's World, uh, and that's where I got my video game news. But there, there really wasn't very much on Tomorrow's World. But that's where I got any that I did get from from there. So when I see YouTube videos that are presented in a similar way to Tomorrow's World, like Tom Scott's video that we saw last week, mm. uh, or to be honest, like your videos, Neil, uh, then they really do appeal to me. Um, with your hands out, Neil. 
Is that, oh, is that... she said, "Oh, stop it, Dave! Stop it!" Dave. No, it, 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 true. <laughs> that, that, I've said, I've said to you before. I like your videos, and it's, uh, um, it should be no surprise. I like them if I'm hung about all this time. But yeah, I do like a kind of an honest, earnest, uh, warm way that that uh, that Tomorrow's World did, rather than the the kind of edgy way. It was always um, it was always respectful of the thing it was covering tomorrow's world, and I always liked that. Um, you know, maybe at some sometimes maybe they were a bit too stiff about it, but I always found it entertaining, and I would love to see tomorrow's world either make a comeback or. Um, I think I've said it before on the show. I want them to make yesterday's world. I want them to make a retro version of tomorrow's world, where they go back and look at all the old tech um, and just kind of remember the excitement around it and the, the the futures that these new bits of tech could have did or should have bought that perhaps didn't happen because something else happened and just tell those stories um yeah hello but one thing I, bbc yeah i i, I reckon neil <laughs> and tom scott together could do it uh, you need, maybe need a third wheel so i don't know who the the maggie philbin is but i i don't know but um yeah that that, that kind of honest television is is more to more to my liking I do, I do like the idea of the data blast, though. Um, I like that. Did you ever do the data blast, Neil? Well, I've got a confession for you now. I never actually recorded the data blast. I always no, saw no. it fly across the screen, <laughs> and I thought, that's a good idea. But if I try and do that, I'll never be able to freeze the frame perfectly. I think you needed a particular type of VHS player to get a good freeze frame, and we just had the cheap one. So if you tried to freeze a page, it would have just been flickering all over the screen. So, um, yeah, never actually recorded it. Um, I do remember Z Wright. He was the American correspondent. I think he was like a, ch I think he was a child actor who they just sort of drafted in to do this. But he would go to cool places like um, I'm pretty sure I remember him. This might be a false memory, but I, I think I remember him going to uh, what 3DO to see Trip Hawkins and the 3DO um, setup uh, when 3DO was about to be launched, and we got sort of previews of that. If he didn't do that, that's the kind of thing he did. He got got us, you know, first sight of all this new technology coming from far afield. So um, that was always fun. Um, uh, the show did try to be a bit more mature by Series 3, perhaps influenced by the way Games Master were approaching it with more adult themes. But I think you're spot on there, Dave, by the way you said it was, yeah, a show for 14-year-olds trying to come across as a show for 17-year-olds, yeah. Yeah, you, you say more adult and more mature. I mean, for me these days, more adult, more mature is how to balance your radiators. Um, <laughs> but for more for them, more adult and more mature is more willy jokes. Yeah, exactly. More willy jokes, yeah. And um, But, I mean, it was probably the right approach to try and take because the demographic was growing older as we moved towards that PlayStation era. Um, and... The thing is, that's set con contrary to their actual channel audience, um, or at least CITV's channel audience, CITV being the children's slot on ITV or Channel 3 over here. That, on the whole, at the time, was actually getting younger. So they were making a show aiming at older and older kids on a channel that was attracting young, a younger and younger audience. So those two didn't really marry up properly, and perhaps that led to the demise of the show. I don't know, but the wheels appear to fall off after four series. We only got four series of bad influence. I think it probably had a few more years left in it, to be honest, with all the excitement of the 32-bit era landing on us um, and everything beyond that. But it wasn't to be, and we were left with Games Master um, for a few more years. Um, and then other shows appeared. Dave Perry. 
Dave Perry of Games Master. Yes. Yeah. Um, Chris, was Bad Influence a show that you enjoyed? Oh, definitely. I enjoyed it and and Games Master. I, uh, both, I'd say probably equally, very different, you know, styles. Um, but like you've already said, it was just seeing our hobby, seeing gaming on television was so obscure that it that it made it awesome, you know. Um, so just see any kind of coverage was, was great. And I was just always fascinated by seeing things like, you know, the latest consoles that always have, you know, talking about even things like the Jaguar and the 3DO and stuff like that before they came out. Dave? I've just I thought I know that I'm I'm a few years older than Neil. Um I can't remember how old you are, Chris. I yeah, know I that you look as if you're a lot older than me, but <laughs> <laughs> I think we're about the same age. I was I was trying to do the maths earlier, but um I'm sixty two. Yeah. yeah, you're sixty two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. I'm actually seventy three. So there you go. <laughs> How old are you? Are going. Anybody listening that's never seen us on YouTube is gonna be going, What the heck? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, I actually I actually enjoyed um, Bad Influence, um, and I think one of the things that stands out for me is, I mean, as you know, I've only recently picked up on it. Well, I say recently, it's over a year ago now, but picking up an Amiga twelve hundred. But I remember back in the day, I completely dismissed the Amiga twelve hundred as being a slightly cosmetically upgraded A five hundred. I know nothing about it other than what Andy Crane had told me on Bad Influence, which you were was, a genius. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but Andy Crane's, you know, review, if you can call it that, of the Amiga twelve hundred was the fact that it's uh, not compatible with a third of existing Amiga games, and they don't know which third won't work. So, as a kid, I- I'm like, I'm not sure if back then they knew the weight that their words would have. I mean, clearly, you know, it's pre-scripted. They've only got like twenty seconds to review a new system as they roll on with this fast-paced show. Um, but but as a viewer, we actually held on to those things, and we would use them the, the, those words in playground battles to win. You know why I'm jumping to PC or whatever. So uh, I, I remember all he said about the Amiga CD thirty two was the controller was upside down. He would have said other stuff as well, but you know it's those those negative comments that you go, well I don't like that. The controller's upside down, and you go and talk to your mates and go, I don't like that. The controller's upside down. So I'm not blaming the demise of Commodore on this one show but um you know it does have a part to play in why some of us would have made these decisions there's a headline the and andy crane killed commodore i think he Disgust. did no he absolutely did <laughs> if only yeah. a commodore had done this one different thing we'd all be using amigas now said every amiga fan ever <laughs> yeah, that's right but no in terms of the show itself i i actually when i got back into this hobby uh you know around uh, late 2018 early 2019 um and i found somebody who i won't say who has posted up in a playlist pretty much every single episode of bad influence and i was just having that massive nostalgia pull of you know wanting to revisit all of this and it was fantastic and i, I would purposely just watch a couple of episodes first thing on a saturday morning seems really weird to do but i would you know have the sun streaming in through the through the front windows watch a couple of episodes of Bad Influence, and it felt like being a kid again. It was absolutely fantastic. Did you do the Data Blast? No, I've never done the Data Blast. And in fact, <laughs> it would be easy to do now, wouldn't it? Because you just pause YouTube, and yet I've still not read a single page. Depends on the quality of the capture. It might have been recaptured from somebody's VHS tape. That, it was that's indeed. It's all flickery. You don't yeah, know. Some of the episodes are worse than I remember it being on a VHS. It was, it was quite amusing. Yeah. 
But it, it's quite interesting, this topic, because I think, you know, I, I know Games Master essentially recently did a, a sort of, let's call it a limited edition reboot, which was cool to watch. I actually enjoyed watching it, uh, you know, very up with the times, uh, both in terms of the games and, and politically as well. But it sort of, for me, it brings this whole question of rebooting versus rewatching. If you're rewatching, then you're getting the full nostalgia experience because it's literally the systems from back in the day. Um, and same with with any show. People, uh, you, you can you can rewatch. I don't know, Faulty Towers. That's probably not a good example, but I'll run with it anyway because I've said those words. And you know, if there's a TV in the background, if there's a video player in the background, or whatever, that's a nostalgia pull. Whereas if you reboot something like that and bring it into the modern day, you don't get that same hook. I don't think. Well, so. I think when you watch these things. Um you know the originals you're you're hearing honest oh well hopefully honest reviews and comparisons between systems at the time uh, on yes. the cutting edge when these systems are on the cutting edge and this is as good mm-hmm. as it gets and it's very easy when you look back at something 20 years ago to kind of blur the lines a bit and make comparisons yeah. of things that are perhaps in a five-year window when actually yes. you would never have considered a, a Super no. Nintendo game against a PlayStation game or something like that, even though they're in a, a period of a short number of years, that is a, a huge gulf. And mm. um, yeah, it, it just it just sort of pulls everything into the right place when you're watching these period accurate things, I think. I like it for that reason. Good. Okay. Well, um, Violet's tweet Um uh, it also says that the best way, in her opinion, to watch the show on YouTube is through a channel called Rose Tinted Spectrum, uh, youtube.com forward slash Rose Tinted Spectrum. A link is in the show notes as well, um, in which there is a, a nice layer of sarcastic, very British commentary over the top of the show. Uh, I'm never in, sarcastic. In, in uh, what they've titled Breaking Bad Influence. So you can go and watch all of the episodes with some commentary over the top. Or as Chris says, it's not difficult to find just the uh, the original captures of the shows as they are. Uh, and you can go back and see how we enjoyed or how many of us, not Dave, but many of us enjoyed uh, British video gaming TV in the 90s. I'm sorry. I don't want to make anyone feel bad about it. Um, no, you're not. Yeah. You're not. It's good. This is a place to share our own experiences, and that's yours. Yeah. And also, I would like to hear the experiences of people around the world because there must be countless video game-based TV shows that we never saw. They might not even be in the English language, but please do leave a comment with a link to them if you can because I'd love to see the different approaches that different countries took to it, whether it's uh, the serious Tomorrow's World style or some kind of wacky, zany approach. Might be fun to watch. We've ignored a, a few story suggestions over the months, guys, let's be honest, uh, but with good reason. And the ones I'm thinking of are Doom running on a tractor, Doom running in notepad, Doom running on insert bizarre object here. Um, Do not insert bizarre objects. No, don't insert bizarre objects. Um, but <laughs> in fact, in my kitchen, I've got we've got one of those fancy Thermomix cooking machines, and I've no doubt Doom could probably run on that as well. Will I try it? No, there's no way I'm going to try it. And I'm yeah, saying this will. tongue in cheek, you know, <laughs> but <laughs> I really am because we appreciate the story submissions. Uh, and just in case anybody's having trouble interpreting my dry sense of humour, we do enjoy reading those stories, but. You know, if we if we ran every Doom story that gets posted, we'd literally be doing one every week. So do keep them coming and don't be offended if we don't run with it. Um, but you know, besides, does it run on Doom? Uh, it's it's kind of it's kind of old hat now. Does it run on Quake? You know, that's a bit more of a challenge. That's worth talking about. 
And the first cab off the ranks on that particular challenge is the 128K Sinclair Spectrum. Yep. There are a couple of demos floating around on the internets showing uh, not quite Quake, but what they're referring to as Quake Engine on a Spectrum. So it's full flat shade 3D levels, and and even there's some enemies bouncing around the place. And in one video posted by Saberman, there's even a 3D polygon shambler on display. Uh, you know, the big annoying white-looking thing that shoots lightning at you. Yeah, one of those floating around in a spectrum level. So... Uh, Basically, the video actually looks very smooth, and it's reported to support both 7 and 14 megahertz spectrums, uh, according to the video descriptions, and also an 14 article. megahertz spectrums? Yeah, 14 megahertz. Were there any native 14 megahertz well, that, spectrums, or is that, that an upgrade? That would be aimed at the spectrum next, I think. Oh, okay. of yeah. course. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Uh, and there's, uh, there's also some information on it on IndieRetroNews.com as well. Uh, while it's not a finished game at this point, you can walk around using WASD controls on your Spectrum. And yes, you can download this and give it a go yourself. Neil, have you had a look? What do you make of this? Well, um, I'm sure I probably had the first, the, the same first thought when I looked at this as you two did, which was the word Freescape, um, the old Freescape <laughs> yeah. 3D engine that powered a lot of games such as Total Eclipse and Driller on your 8 and 16-bit micros. Um, you're reaching for something there, Chris. I, I've, I've got a feeling you're going to hold something up. It's Driller. He's got his copy. Driller's of Driller. a great game. Driller's yeah. a great game. Hello, Rich. You like Driller? <laughs> so You'll be um, happy to see that. Uh, but I, I think the most influential of all of them for me personally was 3D Construction Kit, which was the the kit where you could make your own Freescape games, which came with a a gold VHS cassette tape showing you uh, some examples on there. I really loved that. I probably used that more than any single Freescape game, just messing around in the construction kit. Um, but this example in particular, um, it does have some uniqueness to it over those Freescape engines, I think. It, it does have a different feel to it. Uh, first of all, it's called the Quake engine. Is it is it doing anything to kind of tap into any original map files or anything like that? I mean, is it just sort of mimicking Quake? What's? <laughs> I guess it's just, just because it's trying to sort of show a representation of the Quake game, but this is not, um, it's, it's not a, a port as such, is it? No, that's right. We'll come. We'll come yeah. to that a bit later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. You've got Down some more in info the notes. on that. Down okay. In the notes, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, it does move at an impressive speed for the power available. Um, there's a little number down at the bottom left-hand side of the demo. Is that the frames per second? It sort of goes up and down. Mm. I think. I think Good it probably question. is. And if so, we're hitting a whole five frames per second. And I'm not sure if those demos are the 14 or the seven megahertz version. Do you know? No, I don't actually. No. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, we're hitting five frames per second, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're used to a freescape game, that's pretty smooth. Mm. And then there are these little enemies that bounce around and come at you. Now, I'm not sure if my eyes deceive me or not, but the little bouncy enemy, the little sort of frog type enemy that comes towards you, it looks very much like a filled texture mapped 3D enemy. Mm. Is that the case? Because if that's the case, then that's pretty mind-blowing to me on a ZX Spectrum. There must be a huge amount of trickery going on, even if that's not the case. To make it look like that's the case, it, it works really well. And they must be using, you know, decades of experience and tips and tricks to get that every last cycle out of the Spectrum to make that kind of thing happen. I mean, it looks nothing like the Quake, I know, but it is seriously impressive seeing this on a ZX Spectrum. Yeah. Well, even if you look at the, uh, the, the video that's floating around with the... the 
the Shambler model. That's a really impressive model, and it's got that whole mouth and face thing going as it rotates around. So yeah, and it's yeah. got like textures on on its ankles and yeah. around its face. That's yeah. got to be polygon. That's yeah. not a sprite as such, is it? Um, no, that's right. And even if yeah. it was a sprite, the Spectrum doesn't have any kind of hardware sprite assistance anyway, so it's still impressive. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it is really impressive to look at, and, and it's the speed, like you say, the Freescape engines. I mean, we've discussed free to, Freescape quite a few times on this show, but um, you know, as, as specifically in the, in the 8-bit era, it was slow, if we're honest. It was fantastic to just... You did feel like you were in this sort of free-roaming 3D space, with the technology available at the time, uh, and you could look up, down, left, right, walk around. But generally, you know, it was quite slow, and you would you would end up licking the walls just to increase the frame rate because the less things you were looking at, the faster it would go. Licking the walls. <laughs> yes, licking the walls. Um, licking the walls. Is that an Australian expression? <laughs> no, it's a gaming expression. Yeah, yeah. I actually picked that up from following the dread project and they said please don't go around licking the walls because there are some glitches <laughs> um, i was i was on twitter this morning and um completely off topic there was the end of a nascar race that happened and this guy needed to come like second instead of third to qualify and keep his championship hopes alive did you see this clip and uh, on the last corner me about it today on the last corner instead of breaking he just floored it smashed into the wall and i guess licked the wall all the way around and took second place he just smashed his car up and, and ended up just took it it's quite an incredible clip to watch you don't get that, in, that in, you don't get that in formula one um yeah. anyway um i've completely forgotten what i was going to tell you about now i had a point to this what were we talking about licking the walls licking the walls licking, licking windows freescape oh okay the slowness slow. the yeah. slowness of freescape um is fine because it's a completely different experience to a quake experience. The slowness brings a level of sort of suspense and almost what we were talking about last week, horror to some of these games, the suspense of what's through the Castle next Castle Master. Exactly yeah. that. So it's fine that it's slow, in my opinion. No, oh, yeah, no. Yeah, I totally agree. And at the end of the day, that was the technology available at the time. And the other thing that made the Freescape games work is everything was split up into rooms. Even if it was an outdoor area, generally they'd find some way of, you know, sort of caging it in and then you had to activate something to progress and it would essentially load an entirely new room um, which was very clever way of getting around the, the limitations um, but the spectrum did have other games as well that were sort of 3d polygon based and the one that springs to mind and i didn't play this on the spectrum i had it on the amiga but carrier command now the, the thought of spectrum the spectrum even attempting to play a 3d let's call it simulator in inverted commas just blows my mind. And if, if you look at YouTube videos of Carrier Command on the Spectrum, it's a combination. How they've done it is, is a combination of flat shade polygons and wireframe. So the vehicles are generally wireframe. But things like the carrier itself is 3D polygon. The islands are 3D polygon. The Any mountains on the islands are 3D polygon. And, and it, it, it's an acceptable playing experience. Not all 3D examples on the Spectrum are great. The one I would bring up is hard driving. If you've ever tried to play hard driving on a Spectrum. I <laughs> Not mean, on a Spectrum, no. It's painful enough on the 16 bits, but um, yes. yeah, they attempted it on the Spectrum and whew, yep. <laughs> <laughs> 
I credit hard driving in the arcade with teaching me how to drive, but that's a whole other story really? for another day. Oh, yeah, yeah. The first time I, acceler- uh, I, I operated an acceler- accelerator brake and clutch was in hard driving. The first time I drove my dad's car, I could do it perfectly. Well, not perfectly, but, you know, I knew how to start the car, how to operate it, how to change gear because wow. of spending time on hard driving. Did you drive into anyway, the cow? That was the first time he licked the wall. No, I drove it through a barn. <laughs> <laughs> but um, funnily enough, so the developers that have put this, what we're currently calling the Quake Engine for Spectrum, um, out there, they're from the same part of the world as Zoysia, which I have mentioned before. And, and Zoysia make modern games for the Spectrum as well. And the one that springs to mind in the context of this conversation is is this one called the Dark. I'm holding up here. So for those of you listening, I'm holding up a box that says mm. the Dark on it. Oh, it is. A, oh, Dave, you'll like this. Hang on. Let me just open it up. The best thing <laughs> about this package is the manual. So I'll try and describe it for the listeners. It's like this. It's like this. Um, it's like this felt or, or almost sort of leatherette feeling on the outside, a felt feeling on the inside of the opening covers. String bound. Each one of these manuals is put together by hand, um, so and it looks it's like sort of a medieval, parchment. yeah, like, like a, a medieval, medieval leather bound notepad. Yeah, that's it. And and so the pages Probably that are coloured in, art. each one is hand drawn and hand painted. They don't they don't feel ever so every single one of these manuals would be different as well. They only did that for this game. All the other games they're generally, you know, how many pages manuals. How many pages? Um they're not numbered <laughs> because you couldn't number pages in medieval times because they couldn't count. So yeah, there's no didn't have numbers, numbers then nobody invented no, there, them. There was no numbers in medieval times. You couldn't count any it was I don't think they invented the, the, apparently number zero was only invented recently, which I, I don't understand how you can do things without zero, but there you go. <laughs> well, it's not a number, is it? <laughs> it's a lack of numbers no. it's a lack of data no. <laughs> anyway why am i talking about the dark i'm talking about the dark because it's a first person shooter for the spectrum and it actually runs on a 48k so it's not quite as good as what we're now seeing now in this um in inverted commas quake engine coming out uh because it is a combination of flat shade and 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 uh sprites so probably more similar to Doom or Wolfen, probably more similar to Wolfenstein 3D than Quake, but it's a very playable game even on the 48K Spectrum. Definitely worth a look. I think you can actually, their games, you can't currently buy them, um, but you can download them off their website. So do do check that out. It's really, really cool. Yeah. So I, I love the free skate games. Uh, I know that we struggle. Neil's talked about the frame rates. We struggle now initially when you see them and you see the frame rates. It could be literally one or two frames a second as they as they draw. But I would suggest you stick with it because they were designed with that in mind. Unlike running, I, I was I'm thinking back to your video of Doom and uh, Dread uh, from about mm. a year ago um, when you were talking about how unplayable Doom was on a really weak 386 and you're better off playing a game that's suited to it. And you're right, where where you think about playing a modern game and getting five frames a second makes it unplayable. The free skate games are not unplayable at that frames a second because that's what they're designed to be. So they're perfectly good at that. So do stick with them. Uh, They were actually developed on the CPC and just like the Atari ST, uh, was for 16 but the cpc had the most processing power but it didn't have all the graphics helping chips nor did the the, the, the st that the the commodore 64 and the amiga did so 3d was actually quite good in those because they had the raw power for it rather than the the sprite stuff um but actually the spectrum was great for 3d as well because the spectrum didn't have the graphics helping stuff but it had the the color attributes which um 
is what's responsible for color clash, but it's one of the Spectrum's biggest strengths is that they take so little effort to move compared to other systems, so little effort to move graphics data around in memory that they can end up being quite fast. So that's probably why this Quake thing, I mean, I don't know enough to say, but I would guess you can do this Quake thing in a Spectrum, but you couldn't do it in a CPC or a C64. Um, the Quake thing's pretty impressive, though. I mean, it's not Quake, but it's it's Quake-like. You get a Quake vibe from it. Um, Carrier Command, you mentioned, though, I love that in my ST. It's a wonderful strategy game. It's a, a strategy mixed with simulation. It's a great game. It's fantastic. Um, I'd like to find some time to look at the sequel that came out two or three years ago, uh, Carrier Command 2. Neil, have you played that? Um, I played plenty of Carrier Command. I haven't played Carrier Command 2, no. Um, I was just thinking about what you were saying about the colour attributes and things, and, and you're right. It takes less bytes of information to describe colour on a spectrum because, you know, you've got blocks of colour rather than individual yeah. pixel um, colours. But I don't think I saw any colour in this Quake Engine game, so I think it is just pushing black and mm. white pixels around. Um, yeah, using D the ring to sort of. There's no color in it, but I think yeah. I think that the whole screen memory of a of a, a spectrum is much smaller than other systems. On the Amstrad, you would have to describe the color. You'd have to. Oh, I see. Yeah. You would have to describe it as black and white, and okay, that makes sense. Um, but no, in terms of sequels, again, I'm just going to go off on a tangent. You mentioned Carrier Command 2. I have been playing a sequel this week of a brand new game, um, of uh, a new version of Arkanoid. Um, it's yeah. called Arkanoid Eternal Battle, I think it's called. I'm just firing up my Steam account here so I can just remind myself of the exact name of it. Um, now, when you get retro remakes, they're, they're, they're not, they don't always hit the mark. They sometimes feel a bit lazy, but this one actually really hits the spot for me. Yeah, Arkanoid Eternal Battle, it's called. Um, you can play the classic retro Arkanoid and it brings up like an arcade screen and you have the background noise of you know the ambience mm -hmm. of an arcade. Quite fun. But I guess the, the real showpiece of this is there's a multiplayer version where um, 24 of you all play against each other, Arkanoid, at once. I was going to say a two-player <laughs> version, and you've got one player on each side, and there's just the ball, and you pass it between you. Imagine that. Imagine that. What would you call that? Oh, <laughs> um, but, yeah, Arkanoid no, 24 players. Player. So, you, you know, you haven't got 24 bats on the screen. You've mm -hmm. got your screen and you're, you're playing and you're clocking up a score and then you can see other people's screens around all moving according to how many points they've got oh, until wow. you get down to the last four. And then when you get to the last four, then you've got four bats and you've got sort of a four-player single-screen battle going on to see who's the winner. And it's it's um it's a really nice spin on Arkanoid. Anyway. Do you have a spinner cool. to play it with? I don't. Um, yeah, I play it with the mouse, but a spinner would be the ultimate way to play it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, back to Quake. Chris. Yeah. Well, actually, I do need to, at this point, mention Duncan, because uh, thank you, Duncan, for mentioning this story and making us aware of it. And I, I have to let everybody know it, it did get 11 upvotes from the community. So it's not just because it was Duncan that posted the story that made me choose it. It was, you know, it was found worthy by you guys. So we'll add in the show notes the article by Indie Retro News as well, I think. Uh, so because if you follow the links, uh, you'll find your way to where you can download this engine from if you want to have a go in an emulator or on a real spectrum. Um, according to several sources, this is actually the work of two coders, um, Alone Coder and Dragon's Lord. Uh, there's a lot of videos out uh, there emerging on this, including one from Silent Gamer RZX. 
And in fact, Dragon's Lord 76 is in the comments of Silent Game RZX's um, video stating this. He says, portals with doors do not yet work in this version. The physics of collision with walls too. Uh, the beautiful sky back panorama is turned off, but it still exists. Shooting will be added later, by the way. Uh, you didn't find one of the secrets. So I'm mentioning that because clearly there's more to this than we're seeing in the videos that are doing the rounds at the moment. Um, and I've also made contact via email with Dimitri, who is a lone coder. And he very kindly sent me a, a reply email and said, I am the author of this engine. It's named InfoGuide 3D Engine. So they're not actually calling it the Quake Engine. It's what other people seem to be nicknaming it. Okay, so it's called InfoGuide 3D Engine as it was published in InfoGuide Disk Zine 12 and 13. Uh, and there are other demos made with it by Dragon's Lord. So I get the impression it's Dragon's Lord that's put together this sort of Quake esque um, level that's being shown up at the moment. So I just think it's a great piece of work. I think it's fantastic. Certainly another project I'll be watching with interest, and hopefully somebody will make a full game with it down the line. So whilst the Dread project, which is another one I'm excited about, is proving that the Amiga and the Atari ST could have had a Doom-like experience, the Spectrum is busy playing Quake. Kind of. Has anyone thought about putting a retro museum in a mill? Neil. Stupid idea. You'd, you'd probably kill yourself having to carry everything up the stairs. Yeah. Well, Dr. Local has submitted a story from a local people, paper in Lee. Now, Lee is up north in Greater Manchester, Madfrit in Manchester. Uh, that's all my accents now. Um, a man called Joe Kay has been building a retro museum in a turn of the 20th century mill called Spinner's Mill. Um, him and I think between 20 and 30 volunteers uh, are going to build what sounds like a very extensive museum with a number of exhibit areas. So this this sounds quite, quite big, um, quite impressive what he's doing. Uh, Joe says, uh, we will showcase the history of digital technology and how it has developed through the decades, highlighting how the past and future come together. Um, so it's it's not um, the same gaming focus that, that you have, Neil. It's more about the technology. Um, it's an article that was submitted uh, about it in the local paper from Lee. Um, but I do happen to know um, one of the volunteers, Joe, uh, that Joe uses, which is, is Jack. And um, Jack says um, the plan is a museum, an educational suite, a 70s and 80s office, an arcade room, a VR corner, a history of printing, an internet cafe, a library, and a gift shop and component shop. Um, I, I noticed that um, Joe has made little kits to get people used to building little electronics things, like kind of little starter kits that you might have got as a present in the 80s. Um, so there's that going on there. And um, Jack says they had a jumble sale that went amazingly well. Uh, he said it's great to network with so many people that are interested. Uh, he said it's great to have a lot of volunteers there in the community, helped us make some space and funds uh, to contribute to construct the dream. Um, I think there's room for a lot of these museums um, because, to be frank, it's actually very expensive to visit Neil in the cave for me. I, I just happened to be looking at uh, whether I could go down in November, um, but by the time I paid for petrol in a hotel room, it's 200 Neil's put on sad music. 
It's 200 quid for me just for a day's visit, so it's a bit of a stretch to go two or three times a year for that. Uh, flying reduces the cost, but it leaves me in Bristol is a long way away, and trains are difficult to negotiate. But on the other hand, me driving down to Manchester is still a fair way. But it's it's not it's not that big a deal. I could get there and back in a day. And I imagine for most of the UK, Manchester isn't too far away for anyone. And maybe maybe if you're down in Cornwall or something, but it's not too far away that you can't go there and back in a day. But I also found out that my friend Reese from Control Alt Reese has done a video, and I I I done my my research, and then he came out with this video. Um, he's been up to visit. And he's done a, a great little video on it. Uh, explains it in much better than I can here. So I'd suggest you have a look at that. And he has given us permission to put the video on the background. So you will see little bits from the video there. But it looks it looks very impressive. Um, and Joe comes across really well. So Neil, what's your thinking about the competition? Are you going to sabotage them? Or maybe <laughs> you fancy a trip to Wigan for a Wigan pie. And maybe we can meet for a beer there. Can we have some pee wet with our Wigan kebabs? Yeah, yeah, moisten up your chips. <laughs> moisten up your chips. Are you um, speaking English? Uh, <laughs> I, I think this is brilliant. Um, I would say Manchester, even for me, uh, I would probably want an overnight stay. That's a bit of a slog to get up there and back, but um, it's doable. A large part of the reason I opened up the cave to the public is because there weren't, there were just no real places around my area um, where you could have this experience. I mean. No doubt there are lots of people in Lee now, or the Manchester area, who are super excited for this to open for the same reason. Um, but also further afield, you know, there are quite a few of these places opening now. Just last week, um, I had an email from someone opening a new museum in Derby. So that's the derbycomputermuseum.com. Um, they kindly invited me to their opening event. And um, I need to get back to them because I was going to think about maybe doing a little visit like Reese has done, like we've both done at the Leicester uh, Museum before, um, just to kind of help get the word out there. Um, and I think what all these places create is a nice kind of circuit, if you like, of different museums, all with our own different kind of approach and take on it. And we can we can all do that circuit and we can enjoy the retro circuit around the country. The one in Lee or Derby, for example, um, I'd probably quite like to base a long weekend around it. Uh, maybe visit the museum as the, the focus on a little trip. It's a nice alternative to a national trust venue or a garden center <laughs> or somewhere like that. And I can take Lily and I can, she's not really interested in that kind of thing, but I can go to the museum on the Saturday. We can explore the rest of the area on the Sunday, go for some nice dinner on a Saturday night. Sounds like a good weekend to me. So I'm all for more and more of these places opening up. This one looks very well organized. Um, it sounds like it's got a great bunch of volunteers, Jack included, uh, a good number of volunteers, which is very much needed. And it looks like it's all coming together really well. Um, I must admit, I, I have been privy to some videos of them a couple of months back, which Jack sent me a little tour of them building it in the early days. I think we mentioned it on the show before, maybe. And um, it's it's really taken shape. If I do visit, there is one thing I will sabotage, though. I've heard on the grapevine that they have a lift. And that does make me jealous. So I, th I think I'm gonna, just going to go in. I'm just going to press all the buttons on the lift. That's what I'm going to do. And then, uh, and then go up and enjoy it. Is that sabotage yeah. enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll do. That's that, that's that's as strong as anyone could expect from you, Neil. Um, uh, no, I, I I agree that the the there's room for lots of these places to exist for you for your general public. You're not going to travel. You're not going to drive more than an hour to visit one of these places. So you can have you can have the the greatest um, attraction in 
um, in Stroud and you can have and you're not going to get someone from Glasgow unless they're a bit special like me going down um, whereas someone in Manchester, uh, the whole area around Manchester, they would all go to that. Uh, the one in, it's yeah. not going to it's not going to take any business away from Leicester or Derby or or Stroud. So the more of these, the better. Um, ask for a bit of info on the guy Joe who's running it. It turns out he used to run a computer shop. Um, so maybe even he could, he could put a computer shop in the mill. Um, that'd be an interesting idea. But an old what, style computer shop in what a fake mm. computer shop. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I might have some leftover uh, slap beige (laughs) slap board he can have (laughs) Reese was really positive about Joe though Um, he he seems to be uh, he he seems to be doing this for for, um, really good reasons it's, it seems to be quite into the education side of things as well, so that that'll be quite that'll be quite good if it if it maybe inspires a new generation uh, there. Chris, do you think you might stop off there next time you're on your travels back home in England? Well, funny enough, next time I'm in England, uh, or maybe the time after, because the next one will be a, a flying visit. But um, I actually need to visit the, the cave again because I'd like to actually experience it on a patron day or a public day because I want to get that vibe yeah. that I see other people experiencing. It was great, and I really appreciate uh, the time that you gave me, Neil, when it I did come over. It was in a flash. And, it was in a flash. It in the flash. lunchtime and you're away. Yeah, yeah. And that, but but part of the whole experience I'm seeing on other people's videos is is the fact that there's lots of people there or there's a presentation and I, and I want to be part of that. So I would actually prioritise that first. So sorry to the guy setting up this new one. But I'd well, certainly what, visit what another say, place. Yeah, go what on. I would say is um, I get a very positive response from recording any guest speakers or speeches that happen there. So mm. as this is the you know early days for this museum and the Derby Museum setting up, um, I would recommend that you you think about a public speaker space and also mm-hmm. think about being able to record those and you know get them up on YouTube for people to explore because the audience for this stuff is far bigger than just those who can come and visit you and um, the more you yeah. can share what you're doing in there the better so that would be that would be my tip yeah that's true he's not sabotaging them Dave he's helping them what's going on <laughs> We're going to have to take him out of the back and teach him how it's done. Uh, but anyway, no, I'd, I'd certainly uh, visit another place like this if I happen to be passing. I mean, you know, it's it's a long way to go out your way. But certainly if I'm traveling, traveling up and down the country then and I can make time to pop into a place like this, absolutely. I say that, you know, keep in mind I've still not visited a single nostalgia place that we've got here in Perth. I've mentioned several of them in previous shows. So I really need to make time to do that before I fly to the other side of the world and, and do the ones over there. I was thinking it might suit you because if you're if you're down in the, the south of England, which I think was where you're originally from and you're driving is it Kent you're from? Yeah. Um and you're yeah. driving up to Glasgow to see your brother, yeah. then you can yeah. stop halfway in Manchester. Um yeah, it's now true. Yeah. it's it's not uh, it's not open right now. Um, and they don't want to tie themselves to a date, but from Reese's video, which will be linked here, and I think it will be by Reese has assured me it will be public by the time that this episode is broadcast into your ears. Um, they're hoping and trying to be open for Christmas this year, but a few things that keep frustrating them outside of their control. So we'll keep you up to date. We'll let you know when the date is, and um, maybe come back to them for more information at some other time when it happens. But good luck to them. It looks as if it's going to be a, a an incredible uh, th- thing to, to to go to. Um, it, to me, it looks as if you could you would have to go two or three times to see all of it uh, properly. But yeah, good luck to them, and the more the merrier. 
Time now for our community question of the week. So we'll start with last week's question, which was uh, all about scary games for Halloween. So the question was, name your favorite scary game. Obviously, we are thinking older games, but we'll take anything up to the PS3 era. And Duncan has added a little uh, note here. He says, I can't think of any 8-bit games that jump at me. Neil mentioned Darkseed on the Amiga, but I would have to go with the PlayStation 1 and Silent Hill Uh before I think of a game that really unsettled me. So Unsettled by Silent Hill. Um, the title always rem- reminds me of that remake of House on Haunted Hill, the film. Did you ever see that? Very that. odd. <laughs> Trying so like hard odd. to the point of being kind of funny. Um, no, no, I don't like that. <laughs> anyway, um, so we've got the answers. I'll read the first one out. And the first one actually stimulated quite a lot of conversation over on my Discord. It's from Warshi7819, and they say Doom 3 on my PC. It was also mentioned in the show by Chris Doom 3. Uh, They say it's my second scariest since somebody already pointed out Dead Space for the Xbox 360. I remember having to install beta release drivers for my video card. Oh, yeah, I remember this. To be able to play the game at all. I sat down in a dark room with headphones, and the first time the lights went out in the game and a monster came jumping at me, I almost died. (laughs) <laughs> well, Chris talked about that using the torches, the darkness, and you've just triggered a memory there. People having to find beta uh, brand new um, video card drivers released just to make this game playable and get the most out of it. Um, that must have been a popular thing, uh, buggy games at release, because that's all the rage now. I'm not sure it was necessarily that the game was buggy. I think it was that it was perhaps using features on cutting edge video cards mm-hmm. that um, were either possible but not enabled by existing drivers or they had to sort of do workarounds um to, to allow the game to run so i guess that was just the price of being on the cutting edge i, th- I think yeah. real-time shadows were the challenge for it because because that was the thing that made the, the flashlight so awesome was you could literally freak yourself out just by you know shining the torch around a stairwell and getting shadows of the of the banisters it was amazing yeah mm. chris do you want to read the next answer Yep, so Paul, a.k.a. Hermski, says the seventh guest and the eleventh hour were two of my favourites. Love the puzzles and taking your time to explore the spooky house without being rushed. The music still sends chills down my spine. See, that makes me feel bad now because I kind of dissed seventh you guest as a, as a tech demo last <laughs> week. But, you know, we're all scared by different things. So sorry about that, Paul. Uh, you did just, you accidentally skipped an answer there between the two, which oh, was just I? a short one from Shepo71, who said Dead Space on the Xbox 360. Oh. Um, and yeah. uh, to which Warshi replies, Yeah, I was going to say this. Not only is it scary, but it's probably the best FPS I've ever played. I recently discovered that there's a third game out there and the fourth in the making, but I've only ever played the first two. So I need to play that. I've never I've played, not played Dead Space. No, no, I've not played Dead Space. Need but to. we're getting a bit new now. We're getting into the Xbox 360 days. It's true. Um, Quick, back into retro territory. Yeah. I'll go back into retro then. Um, and the one that appears uh, fourth on my, my list is. Uh, because they're in a slightly different order, as sometimes happens on Reddit, thanks to the, the magic it does. It's from Happy Coding ZX. So Alan says, I used to play Phantom Slayer on the Dragon 32 Coco. He's going to go in Coco in brackets because the, the, mm. the Tandy color computer is the, the equivalent which most of the games ran on uh, in the USA, uh, with the lights off, and it was genuinely scary. Consider a forerunner of both FPS and survival horror games. It's a bit like 3D Monster Maze, which he says is also a classic, and I love the box art for that, uh, but with a spooky hooded phantoms. 
On slightly more modern systems, the original Fatal Frame Project Zero is still the scariest thing I've played. Fantastic. Um, some of the other answers I'll just pick out that we had from Toxic Seahorse was it came from the desert on the Amiga, Granny's Garden. Um, <laughs> it's Granny's Garden. I remember that on the BBC Micro. Um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream from Logical Associates. Oh, yeah, ACA. yeah. I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is, is a is a point-and-click game. Um I think it's based. It's based. It's 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 quite a horrifying thing. There's some dark secrets there that you explore as you go through it. It's really good. We've got um, lots of Resident Evils. We've got Project mm. Firestart for the Commodore sixty four from Kefka Floyd. Half Life from Crispy Nut. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, you've you've done Phantom Slayer. Um, yeah. And some more Silent Hills, and then a bonus from Crispina Attic Attack was probably my first spooky game. I know that's a favorite of yours, Chris. A bit of Attic Attack. Did you find yeah, it like spooky? That. Not so much spooky. Yeah, just just fun. I can't believe going through the answers. I can't believe I didn't mention Resident Evil last week on the, on the original PlayStation. Uh, I think it's the scene where you're walking down one of the corridors and the dogs jump through the windows at you. Fantastic! So many jump scares, but they they didn't feel like jump scares. They felt like part of the action. And, and the limited the reason, camera angles really yeah. added to that. It was amazing. I think, I think the reason Resident Evil didn't really jump out for me is because I'd played Alone in the Dark and Alone in the Dark 2, and I was very familiar with the, the sort of the tank controls, the camera views, the jump scares, yeah. things jumping through the windows. So I felt a bit like it was, um, yeah, a rehash of Alone in the Dark, which, which it was. But then, of mm. course, it took things a lot further, especially when you got to having a custom chainsaw-shaped controller to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you didn't, oh, we looked that one up. Look that one up. Oh, we'll um, so, our question of the week for this week, um, quite simply, we're gonna uh, we're gonna stay with gaming based TV shows or any TV show with um, a, a section, I guess, of gaming that appeared that that just made you sit on the edge of your seat and go, "Okay, I've been I've been acknowledged. I've been seen. My hobby, my love of computing, because it was so infrequent in the 90s when anything appeared on the telly, you just sat up and and you just savored every second of it." So, favorite TV shows based on video gaming or computers or technology or just any appearance of technology or video games that you want to share with us bonus points if you can find a link to it on youtube and we can sit down and have a watch and give you our feedback on that let's just sort of share our 90s tv memories that would be really interesting from the international from... yeah sorry i think you're about yeah. to say the same yeah. thing dave yeah yeah if they're from, the international from, from outside the uk because yeah what did you watch in the usa and canada what did you watch in in australia or uh, what did you watch in india or a- anywhere else anywhere that we we, we wouldn't wouldn't it wouldn't know about there must be stuff there did you have your own version of tomorrow's world did you have your own version of the flight simulator in the krypton factor (laughs) (laughs) send us a link i want to see it i want to see it did you have television did you have television did you have (laughs) peter cage you remember this thing (laughs) on that note thank you very much everyone for listening and for watching as always from myself from dave and from chris Take care, and we'll see you next week on This Week in Retro. Bye-bye. 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 This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Styles. 
podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.